Welcome back to Between the Lines, everything your medical school didn't teach you about health equity. My name is Vivek Shah. I'm a first year medical student at SUNY Downstate. And I'm Andrea Martinez, a second year medical student at SUNY Downstate. We started this podcast as students in white coats for black lives to hear the experiences of marginalized communities that are often ignored in our medical education. We are inviting community stakeholders to discuss how structural racism and other injustices impact health and lead to disparate health outcomes. In this episode, titled The Crisis in Immigration Healthcare, we will be discussing the immigrant healthcare experience, taking note of our failures to deliver adequate healthcare to immigrant Americans, and trying to understand how we can improve the system for the sake of all. Why should we care about immigrant health? Is this such a big problem? Well, it's an issue that, uh, at least for me, it plays close to my heart because I myself am an immigrant. I moved to the United States from Honduras at the age of 13. And though my experience is different, just like everyone else's, it's still something that um, I definitely see myself that I can relate to the struggles a lot of immigrants have faced in not only accessing healthcare, but also juggling that with immigration status, juggling that with acclimating yourself to a new culture, juggling that with learning a new language. Uh, There's definitely a lot of stresses and experiences that we don't know even truly sure how they affect us, but we can definitely see it reflected in how we interact with health. I know exactly what you're talking about. I live in an intergenerational household as well. So I see my grandparents having gone through the exact same experiences that you were just mentioning. When it comes to healthcare, especially, my grandparents turn to me and my father and my mother to get an explanation, understanding about you know their healthcare that they're being delivered. And uh, I'm not really confident that my healthcare providers or their healthcare providers are really vested in their care enough to ensure that my grandparents are really understanding everything that they're telling them. You know, sometimes with language barriers, there can be miscommunication, there can be poor communication, and it can get frustrating. It's understandable, but that's not the way the healthcare that we want to deliver should be delivered. So it's essential that we have these structures in place to allow people that may not understand um, due to English not being their first language to be able to you know, understand their healthcare just as much as anyone else. It was only really until two years ago that they began to see a primary care physician who could actually communicate with them in language. They could understand what their diet consisted of and incorporated traditional medicine into the conversation. These changes might seem minuscule, but they really do have an incredible effect on my grandparents' attitude about their healthcare. And as a result, uh, their adherence to their treatment regimen really increases. I think what we've seen, what we're talking about here is uh, culturally competent care. You know, care that recognizes the importance of a patient's cultural context, really validates them and is compassionate in nature. It's the kind of healthcare that we want to give in our future and that our healthcare industry should strive toward. But it's not something that's offered to all or even most for the matter. Instead, what we see is uh, most often immigrant families forgoing care, a lot of reasons, from lack of health insurance to fear of mistreatment and industry distrust. The immigrant experience is really diverse. And to build a healthcare system that truly works for all, we need to understand and take into account the experiences of those we aim to treat. That's an important point you bring up about the diversity of experience uh, within the immigrant community. The term immigrant healthcare is a bit too broad and fails to account for the incredible variety of experience. Just by the going from the issue of documentation status, you can have a really important differentiated feature uh, that we need to to mentioned in the podcast because just by that you experience an entirely different not only life in the United States but access to healthcare 
in the United States. So undocumented immigrants live with the fear of deportation on a daily basis. There is that uh, an understandable hesitation to access healthcare, even when it is absolutely necessary. Not only this, but the uninsured rate for non-citizens is 47% compared to 15% for citizens. This compounds upon our already disparate healthcare, leading to an increased likelihood of receiving too little medical care too uh, late, experiencing more severe illness and dying much sooner. When uninsured immigrants do require emergency healthcare, they get the coverage through emergency Medicaid. This form of insurance covers hospital visits for conditions that seriously jeopardize the health of the patient. If a patient's condition is indeed life or death, then and they only earn up to 138% of the federal poverty line, emergency Medicaid can be used to cover specific treatments for up to a total of 15 months. What this form of insurance fails to do is cover primary care, many follow-up care options, and even some standards of care surgical therapy, such as bone marrow transplants. What this inevitably leads to is a cycle of growing untreated risk factors that culminate in devastating, costly emergency visits. You know, I think a lot about sustainability, especially as it pertains to healthcare. And for a country that spends $3.6 trillion on healthcare annually, this does not sound like a sustainable solution. As future healthcare providers, I think we really need to think about the context behind why the patients we pre uh, present uh, with the conditions that they do. We need to understand fundamentally that some patients do have only access to healthcare when it's in emergency uh, settings, uh, and so that they don't get the chance to treat their underlying risk factors. For some, it's just like they can't afford it, or they weren't unable to prioritize their own health as many others do. That fear of deportation is also constant, and it's underlying every health decision that a person makes. For immigrants, the United States may represent any number of things, financial stability, safety, prosperity. But when families are separated, when refugees are denied asylum status, when individuals are deported, physical, mental, social health are all directly harmed. However, when these people are forced into immigration detention, we're doing more than just harm to health we are committing violence. The conditions of these detention centers are a direct antithesis of health. On April 6th, 2015, Raul Ernesto Morales Ramos, a 44-year-old citizen of El Salvador, died at the Palmdale Regional Medical Center in Palmdale, California. An autopsy would reveal that the cause of his death was organ failure, a result of untreated, widespread cancer. He entered the limbo of immigration custody four years earlier, detained first at the Theo Lacey facility, which at the time was operated by the Orange County Sheriff's Department, then at the Adelanto Detention Facility, operated by the, a private company, Geo Sheriff's Department. His story of medical negligence began in 2013, when the first symptoms of cancer began to show. An investigation revealed that he went without treatment for his condition until the month before his death. This story is not unique. It's not gonna go away either. The system is overburdened, and the health of detained immigrants is at risk. Andrea, between May 2012 and June 2015, 36 people died in the custody of U.S. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE. These included lawful permanent residents, unauthorized migrants, and at least six who sought protection under the refugee law. All of them were between 24 and 50 years old. These stories highlight just how inaccurate healthcare is in detention centers. It took a good amount of digging just to find out who was in charge of providing healthcare in these places. The answer is just as obscure as you might have expected, 
Medicare providers vary from facility to facility. Some are served by the Immigrant Health Service Corps, which is made of the US Public Health Service officers, federal civil servants, and contract health professionals. They only serve 48% of the total detained population, while the rest are provided medical care by a third-party company or by the local government responsible for running the facility. The care they provide is inconsistent, lacks oversights, and their contracts with ICE often fail to define the specifics of what is required of medical care. And this should sound somewhat familiar if you're coming from our crisis in prison healthcare, how we're starting to see some similarities between healthcare and prisons and healthcare and detention centers, how there is basically no accountability and the ones who suffer are the ones in these, in these detention centers or incarcerated people. As future medical providers, we need to understand how immigrant detention, as well as incarceration, have the ability to do irreparable harm to our patients. To minimize the risk, some cities and states have designated themselves as sanctuary cities. Now, people often believe this means that immigrants cannot be prosecuted here, but it's really just a city that limits cooperation of federal, federal immigration to protect low priority immigrants from deportation. These are essentially safe cities for undocumented immigrants to walk the slow path to citizenship. You know, sanctuary cities are something that has been, has come up in conversation a lot, especially as we've been working through a presidential election recently. And it's something that people think truly is a horrible, um, awful thing, but it makes no sense. I mean, we're talking about a place for people to exist peacefully and to not live with the constant fear of deportation. And it's not to say that it's perfect, but it is a step in the right direction to ensuring the good health of our uh, citizens. Since we're talking about citizenship, I wanna take a little time to discuss something that's been in the news quite often lately, the uh, issue of public charge. The term public charge was first introduced in the Immigration Act of 1882 and constitutes a major part of US immigration policy. The original language of the Immigration Act stated that immigrants who were unable to take care of themselves without becoming a public charge were unsuitable for American citizenship. Now, clearly that language is completely obscure. Um, it's, it can be used for quite literally anything and quite likely was used to uh, deport immigrants who came from countries that the Ameri America had decided was not worthy of immigration. Even today, my parents have told me never to ask for any sort of government assistance, even if it's within something that I legally qualify for because of this fear of public charge that in the future I will be denied my U.S. citizenship because there was this one time that I asked for help from the government. So it's definitely something that is pervasive even today and even amongst immigrants that could be considered affluent by uh, modern standards. It's truly something that we are still in constant fear of accessing public um, needs, things that really help us to succeed, to live to just the bare minimum. And I can't confidently say that that, that public charge has changed all that much since 1882. Because under the Immigration Act of 1903, public charge became a basis for deportation, which is exactly what we're talking about here, and essentially became a punishable offense. Here, we were taking the first time that poverty became a punishable offense. Then in 1952, with the Immigration and Nationality Act, the terms of public charge were expanded upon to clarify those that who received public benefits within the first five years in the United States were subject to deportation. As you can see, things really haven't changed in those 70 years of time. The language is still fairly obscure. Uh, it's still directed towards um, poor immigrants. And that really held on until 1999. 
when perhaps for the first time in history, the terms of public charge were actually defined. It was someone who primarily depended on government for subsistence through receipt of public cash assistance or institutionalized long-term care at government expenses. So that included social security income, cash assistance from temporary assistance for needy families, but it explicitly excluded Medicaid, food stamps, WIC, housing benefits, and childcare. Now that's really important because 20 years later, those exact same benefits were now under uh, attack. In 2019, USCIS announced a new rule restricting lawful immigrants receiving public benefits from obtaining a green card. Restricting lawful immigrants receiving public benefits from obtaining a green card. However, unlike the 1999 ruling, public charge would now include Medicaid and SNAP as grounds for disqualification. You're telling me that accessing healthcare was now a basis for denying someone's citizenship to the United States? With certain exclusions, including CHIP for child healthcare, state, local, or tribal public health services, you're absolutely right. Healthcare was now under attack, and people feared, rightfully so, that if they were to access Medicaid and access their healthcare, that they would no longer be in, under consideration for green card and for citizenship. This policy put an immense amount of strain on an already burdened immigrant healthcare system. Even before COVID started, an analysis of 2010 through 2016 found that immigrants from Mexico, Central America, and the Caribbean, and the Indian subcontinent bore the highest burden of overweight slash obesity and diabetes, while those from Southeast Asia and Russia bore the highest burden of hypertension. And we know that these conditions place people at an increased risk of death from COVID. And as if that wasn't enough, a large percentage of immigrants are essential workers. And this population has been disproportionately affected by COVID-19. Low wage employment that does not allow work from home, has inadequate implementation of physical distancing, lacks sick leave benefits, has increased use, forces increased use of public transportation, decreased directed education on mask wearing. These conditions are also something I can speak about personally. My grandparents, my uncles, my aunts, my parents all suffer from diabetes and some from hypertension. And it is something that has been certainly a fear in our community where COVID was, has such a great association with causing more mortality with those that have diabetes. And so it, it makes sense that that fear would be in place. It's important to talk about this because we were, as we mentioned before, talking about the burden of healthcare and the burden of healthcare costs and, and how it's important for us to understand how to move forward from here. And with a greater and growing uh, immigrant population and a greater growing senior population, especially in New York City, understanding how the immigrant community of, our, of New York City lives and what chronic conditions they suffer from um, will really help with making sure that we are delivering healthcare as best as we can to all people. It's important also because we see that a lot of immigrants access healthcare community-based organizations, as currently they find that the healthcare that they receive in institutions, in hospitals and such, or primary care isn't, isn't adequate, uh, doesn't really see them as the patient, doesn't give you the valuable time that they deserve. And so as we build this narrative and this understanding of how chronic disease is important, how we can target it, it's important to also introduce into the discussion um, community-based organizations that are working towards, working towards health for all. Finally, it's also important to note that, especially in the context of COVID-19, 
that a lot of immigrant communities didn't have access to groceries or to healthcare appointments, et cetera. We'll be discussing this uh, with uh, one Mr. Shah, uh, Mr. Uh, Bharat Shah from Queens, New York. So, Mr. Bharat Shah, how are you? I'm fine. Everything good, no problem. That's good to hear. Thank you for being here with us today. So, we want to talk a little bit about healthcare, and we also want to talk a bit about your experience um, with physicians, with the U.S. healthcare system. Um, it is my understanding that you are an immigrant from India. Is that correct? Yeah. And you came in what year? I came, we came in in 1992. 1992. Wow. So you've been here for many years now. Yeah, to more than 25 years. And uh, it, also you mentioned that you worked with JFK. Is that correct? I, no, before the, I came here, I was working in a marketing company. Okay. Pharmaceutical. That is, the, they have the plant Mark Sharp and Dome of India Limited. That is the international plant all over the world. And I was in charge in working in the Mumbai in the okay. plant. Hmm. So you were in charge of that. So then you came to the U.S. and you were able to apply those skills and, and, and work here as well. So my first question to you is, when was the last time that you went to a doctor's office? Uh, see, last time is 9th of February. 2021. And, and what was it like? In the, up to 2020, October, mm -hmm. everything was good. But everything, the doctor told me that after uh, New Year start, January, you come for the just the visit, means the yearly visit. So just the checkup by blood and the uh, EKG and the blood pressure and all. Oh, that's good. So uh, like a yearly vi visit, a yearly checkup. Yeah, yearly check. And that's your that's your primary care physician. Yeah. Uh, have you been seeing them for a long time? Not about five five years, about four to five years. Can the doctor speak in Gujarati with you, or? Because he knows, I most probably when we select the doctor, either we select first Indian, mm. and then the Gujarati if is available. And do you think that it affects your experience um, having an Indian doctor or even one that speaks Gujarati? It's better because they communicate each other very nicely. Because sometimes some word we don't know in English. Here in the sun, we don't know, then we can explain in Gujarati, in my language. And he also understands very well to me. So he understands you, he understands the language. Does he understand Ayurvedic medicine? Which for those that don't know, Ayurvedic medicine is an old Indian form of holistic healing. And it involves yoga, breathing techniques, herbal ointments, and pills and powders um, to help treat conditions. He believes in the Ayurvedic and homeopathic medicine, okay. acupressure and all. He's not specifically after the allopathic medicine. He prefers allopathic, but if you take the Ayurvedic and homeopathic or any other medicine, he likes it. He's, he understands and he sometimes he asks, oh, it's very good if you take now, I, I'm assuming that that's the person you see often, but do you ever ever see any other doctors, ones maybe in the past that didn't necessarily speak English? I mean, uh, Gujarati? No, he was understand uh, Hindi. Mm. He's Punjabi, so he understand the Hindi. So for most of the time when you're visiting doctors, they are mostly Indian and they can speak a language that you can speak. Yeah. Not so much the case for you that 
you've found doctors that don't speak Hindi, Gujarati, or Punjabi? No, most probably I select the doctor, physical therapy. My mm. eye doctor is also Indian. That I do only one in the year. So I know each other everywhere. Means they know me, and I also know very well to them. How do you find these doctors? I know you mentioned with your primary care physician, you talked in the Gujarati Samaj, which is a, for those that don't know, the Gujarati Samaj oh, is a group okay. where Gujaratis come together. No, when we uh, select the insurance, the agent will ask me, what type of doctor you want? So I most probably I say Gujarati doctor, and I don't have any other doctor, I don't have any other problem. So until now, I don't have any problem. So I just need PCB doctor. And that is Indian is better. My next question for you is where do you get your healthcare information? So, or your COVID information, where, where does that primarily come from? See, with COVID, means uh, first of all, I, we get two lectures in India home. Mm -hmm. When my doctor also PCP, last week he had the one hour lecture on the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And before that, I go other center also on the Zoom. There are about four to five about the, before that it was COVID, but after that now they are giving lecture mostly on the vaccine. So and they try to explain the vaccine is to take the vaccine is good. Why is good? They explain. What is India Home? If you would could just explain for those that don't know. The India Home is the center for the Asian senior and India Home started 10 years back. From that day onwards, I'm going to India home. And they have all the type of activity. Many times we, I think we start with the yoga, meditation, then bhajan, then uh, some doctor lecture. We have the game. Then the, after lunch, we also play puzzle with so many other activities. So I keep myself busy. And I know there are so many things I learned from India home. That is the before that I was not doing so many things. I was not singing, I'm not dancing. I don't do anything. But after joining this one, I got the confidence myself. Okay, I can do everything. The only thing is give the inspiration, how to start. And the health related problem also. We are visiting museum also. So that way I, and we have the lecture on the vaccine, COVID all. And it sounds like this is something that helps to, you know, keep you physically fit, you keep you uh, socializing with other peers. Um, and it seems like you get some good uh, health information from there in a way that is understandable and in a language you speak. Do you think an organization like this would be important for immigrants? Yeah, there are, there are so many other organizations. Monday and the Thursday, I go to India home. Other day, we have the center in the Flushing Temple. There, they also have the senior center. There, they have the Tuesday and the Friday. So there also everything is the same. They also yoga, meditation. Then we learn the spirituality also. We learn the Bhagavad and all and discuss the problem. Do you suffer from any chronic conditions? Anything your doctor, you take a medication for? No, until now I see. Until now I never fall sick. I never got the headache. I never went to the hospital until now. Only thing I just go for the PCP yearly checkup. And I for the I got the cataract operation. So both the eyes I got the operation. And everything is otherwise there is no problem. 
I just every year I do it for the eye checkup also. Everything is good. That's good to hear. So do you take any medications at home? I take only blood pressure medication. Okay. So you do have, do you have a history of, uh, of high blood pressure? Yeah. And uh, has your doctor taken the time to explain to you what that medication is and why you take it? Yeah. What do you think has helped contribute to the fact that you are very on top of your, your, your health and the medications you take? Is it, you know, personal focus? Is it having someone living at home with you? Is it the fact that your physicians are understand the language you speak and they can clearly express that information? Is there anything you want to comment on that? Yeah, I, I because the doctor explained to me directly. Mm -hmm. There's no difference. I have to change some power from 50 to 100. That side effect remains the same. And your blood, everything is normal. You don't have any problem with the kidney. So this, it won't damage your kidney or anything. So don't worry about any med because you are not taking any other medication. And the, your damage and blood, everything is normal. Even my A1C is also 5.7. And all other, everything is under control. So yes, don't worry about that. So you are not taking any other medication. So this may be good for you. And you mentioned your A1C, so that, that to measure for diabetes, correct? Do you have a history of diabetes? Yeah. It, it's well controlled by the sounds of uh, what you were mentioning? No. Hey, about the three months, last year, I think, my A1C came 6.4. And doctor told me, see, your A1C is 6.4. If it's on the border, if it go a little higher, then we may have to start diabetes medication. I said, doctor, give me some time. And after that, I stopped sugar. I was taking tea without anything. I'm not adding any sugar. I do exercise. Even I don't take any sweet or everything and control myself, particularly on the tea and all. And I never take the sugar and all other sweet also. Then he checked the, this one A1C. It came to 5.9. And this time it came to 5.7. And, and it makes sense because now your physicians understand that tea, especially in Indian culture, is very important to have tea time. Um, and that's not something that necessarily translates to American culture. Three o'clock in my household very much is the same as chai time for, uh, for you know, my daddy and dada. So um, and, and sugar, no sugar in the in the, in the tea uh, is, is important uh, to make sure. Mostly Gujarati, they eat more sweet. I agree we with that one. That one's for sure in my house too. What happened? We go to temple. We give suppose fifty-one dollars. They give us sweet one box of sweet. <clears throat> now we are only two. How we are going to eat uh, too much sweet? So I told my wife, don't give anything. Just put the money in the box. So they won't give you anything. Now I wanted to bring back a, a point that you'd made earlier, which was that you did not necessarily um, use allopathic medicine as much. Would you say, do you distrust allopathic medicine? No, see, when I came here in the USA, until now, I don't know any allopathic medication. I not took any Tylenol, not even for the pain. I don't, IPB form or any other medication, I never take it. Only thing, if I feel I have the tough, <clears throat> I have the one medication. I am 100% sure you take that medication, it will be okay for me. So whenever I feel, today I feel a little bit tough. So I took in the one tablet, small tablet, Ayurvedic in the morning, 
This was good for me. And uh, I have the five years back. I have the so much stuff at the age of and so much stuff that I did. Uh, I can't sleep for one week. And tough coming down, coming down, coming down, everything. Then I doctor here give me the steroid for one course. And after that, it was good. I, after finish the steroids uh, course, there was not problem. Then I say, what is the problem? Then when I went to India, I have one doctor, they say in the Baroda, they, he's just look your nothing. You just go there and he look at your pulse and he will do the medication and he find out what is wrong with you. <clears throat> so when I went to India, five years back, I went to Baroda specially for that. I went to the doctor. There are so many people, there are hundred people are waiting in the queue. He just, I, when I go there, I don't have to speak anything. He checked my pulse. He took the pulse and gave me the medication, some Ayurvedic powder. And he said, okay, you have to take this powder for. And from that five years, I am taking that powder in the morning, daily one spoon. And after that, I never got, until now, I never got any tough or cold or anything. So I have more faith in Ayurveda. And sometimes you get the gas or acidity. I have the uh, homeopathic medicine, carbovage. If I take four tablets more carbovage, everything will be fine. So until now, I never use any medical, American medicine. When I, sometimes I get the fever, very fair. Until now, I think one or two days I got the fever. I did the trocin that is from India. And that trocin, I will bring it here. I take only one trocin, it will be good. It was manufactured by the Abbott Laboratories. So I don't take any other medication. So it sounds like the reason that you don't take allopathic medication is because you have something that works. And so those work for you. Yeah, because oh. the, now the, I, I listen to YouTube. They say blood pressure can be controlled without medication. How you believe that the blood pressure should remain 120 by 80 at whatever the age? Don't believe like that. They are saying. Then they say pranayama. So you breathing exercise. If you do the breathing exercise, it will improve your blood pressure maintain normal. Now, you went to uh, Boroda, Boroda, which is in Gujarat in India. Yeah. You said that you were there, you stood in the queue, he took your pulse and gave you medication. Do you think that there is something better about healthcare in India or something that you think is better in India than it is in the U.S.? See, there are different in that. India, medication, everything is good. But what happens? So I get the blood pressure now, suppose. What happened? When I go to the doctor, the blood pressure came high. Then I have to go after one month or two months. That time also the he check only once. But when I go to India, I have the doctor, my family physician there. They said family doctor. If I go, I go daily there. He check my blood pressure. So I can come to know what is there is very easy. I can check my blood pressure with at least uh, two or three times in the week. Here you don't get the time, doctor. Their doctor is sit properly. They talk, they when laugh and everything talk. And when they take the blood pressure, it comes normal. Sometimes it comes high, then again you go after two days, if they check. 
so they from that they will find out your blood pressure really high or any problem second thing if i go for the doctor for the blood test my my physician means what he call the person who take the blood pathologist pathologist Mm-hmm. he take the blood pressure are take the medicine mm-hmm. then doctor after the result come <clears throat> doctor he called me then he says see this is your blood report everything is good no problem we don't get chance here to talk with the doctor he just talk on the phone everything is good or any problem so you're saying that in india they were able to t- spend time to explain and and un- you can understand what's going on and they give you the medication but here you don't get the time to talk to the physician yeah. and i wanted to ask why do you think the doctors here in america are spending so little time with you see when you pcb what pcb is doing my pcb if i go i get the appointment after one month or two months i he don't get the time bit because you get the appointment after one you can go immediately to the doctor you have to take appointment and they what he's doing he's just checking the blood pressure <clears throat> nothing else and just keep in the fit and ask the question what is the problem so what pcp is not we don't have the family relation with your physician when we have the faith when you have the family relation that you have full faith and the doctor so whatever he is doing he will be perfect for me he will help you and it will change your complete attitude you feel full confidence of the doctor i know that doctor will do everything good for me then it everything will work i had a few more questions for you one was that do you know anyone uh, any of your friends or family that were afraid to access healthcare because of immigration status i i have very few friend miss uh, those who are i go to the candy store the person is working i know this is uh, illegal and is working but the what happened they never fall sick i think or they fall sick they uh, go to the doctor i think and take the medication but they are not insure anything they just maybe giving the money or something whatever the fee a doctor may be helping them i don't know actually but they they mostly they are not any time they feel sick or anything they just take the medication without asking doctor also they just came to know this is the blood pressure they may be taking diabetes they may take from their friend but that i don't know and suppose sometimes they are very sick they go to the doc- hospital and the near state law stoge say that if you go to the um, hospital for one day they do everything they never ask anything about your status they help you out anything for the one day any operation or any medicine or the check up they do there that is the only new york state is doing without asking any status they take care of you first and nothing else Uh, so I have one more question now. It's a little bit different than what I've been talking about. Um, with COVID-19, there has been a lot of, in the senior community, a lot of social isolation. Has that term, is that term something that you're familiar with? I don't feel any social isolation. Because all the time, my, my time is so fixed. 
everything. So if even you don't go out, everything will get at home. India home provide until now in one year I came from India, March 7, I never went out any store. India home, I'm lucky India home provide Indian grocery once in the month. So I don't have to go to any other because I never drive. <clears throat> we have to go by train or bus. And I never travel by subway after March 8 until now. And all other medication means uh, from my son, he ordered on Amazon Fresh. So all milk, banana, everything, it come to my house, my home. So I don't have to go out. Only thing I have to take care of myself, not to go out much. Whenever you go out, take them. And now he's after me, wear two masks, not only one. You seem very well informed about the precautions you must take for COVID-19. Where, yeah. where did that information come from for you? That information, I get the so many lectures on, we have on the India home and so many other, I remember the, so many other uh, senior center, they all have the program on the Zoom. So I got all the knowledge, what is going on. And daily I listen to Governor Kumo and the, our mayor, they daily give the information on the news. What is going on in the New York? Today he was showing how much the uh, this one positive rate came down New York State for 3.5. So he's very happy that uh, it coming down. So it sounds like you've got a good set of sources from which you're getting your information and you're making sure to uh, be proactive of all about that. That's very good, thank you. So it sounds like India Home is a organizing center for you to give you information, to give you groceries. Um, do you find that in for immigrant communities that there are places like that for everybody? I think those who are in need, they will ask because I never go and I will never drive. So I have to depend upon them. I don't, mostly many of them are getting the grocery, Indian grocery from the India Home. Okay, I think that's um, all of the questions that we have for you, Brother Uncle. Um, thank you so much for your time and talking to us. Um, it was really inspiring to hear about how you are able to stay healthy. Thank you for being here with us today.